Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is guitarist Mike Stern. His new album on Heads Up Records is called Big Neighborhood. It features a gazillion different people, among them bassist and vocalist Richard Bona, heard here on Mike Stern's tune Reach. My guest is guitarist Mike Stern. He's got a new record out on the Heads Up record label. It's called Big Neighborhood, and it features a a ridiculous roster of special guests, uh, and it's really my pleasure to have Mike here on the show. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much. So, um, as I mentioned, this record has a lot of people on it, and uh, all of whom are are top-caliber folks, uh, names people will recognize, and I wonder why you decided to go that route with this record. Well, it's kind of, uh, I've been, I did that a little bit with the last record, and it's something that I've kind of, I like some variety on, on like, all my records I've done. I've done, like, about 14 now. I think this is the 14th, maybe it's the 15th, I'm not sure, but, like, so, so I've, you know, and more, I've, I've always had some variety. Sometimes, like, a couple drummers will be, like, there'll be mainly one drummer for the whole record and then another one for a couple of tunes. And, but basically, it's kind of, a lot of the same people have shown up on, on my past records, you know what I mean? And, uh, and and they're all fantastic musicians. There's a bunch I could go through, but there's a whole bunch of them that I, I recorded a lot with. And so the last couple records, ever since I was with the Heads Up, I kind of said, well, let me, you know, kind of reach around a little bit more and get a little bit more adventurous, because there's some people that I really am excited by, like musically, who might be interested in, in you know, playing on my record. So I, I, the last record I asked, uh, Michelle and Dago Cello and, and Roy Hargrove and some people that I know but don't haven't played gigs with and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and there was Kim Thompson was on that last record, a great drummer that, that I do play a lot with. But, um, but just people that are not, you know, the kind of usual cats that I had in the in the past, you know what I mean? So uh 
And this record was just kind of following in that footstep, in those footsteps, but a more adventurous. Because there's some people I've always thought about recording with uh, Steve Vai for for quite some time. Just just as like, well, that would be cool to try, you know, see what that kind of hookup would be like. And um, and Eric Johnson, I actually talked to Eric over the years about doing something on a couple of tunes on on a record. So this time I said, let me try those. You know, let me just see if they would be cool to do, to play on my record. And uh, so I asked uh, Eric first, and he was down. You know, he said he would be cool with it some years ago, too. So we just finally kind of got around to that. And then I thought Steve Vai would really be a... I had some tunes specifically in mind, not completely written, but close. And I thought this guy would tear him up you know he'll he'll play him great i thought and and uh let me see if he's interested so i called him and he was he was into it he was a great really fun to work with and the kind of the same thing happened with everybody else with Esperanza. I kind of knew her a little bit. She's more in my world of you know. She's more of a jazz musician, you know, which I that's my priority and has been for years. You know, I'm known as a jazz musician, but who who rocks also? You know, likes to rock or funk or you know. I do that stuff too. I'm a guitar player, so I got to do that stuff, and I'm into it. You know, I grew up in the '60s, so my styles tend to kind of. Uh, go in different places but but i'm kind of more you know rooted in in uh in in jazz and so uh, i would say definitely and uh and esperance is like that and terry lynn carrington is is very much like that she's an incredible drummer who and actually uh with them i i was playing a festival and they were both on the on the same festival playing in a different special project that, that terry lynn had hooked up so i asked both of them to play on this record terry lynn carrington and uh esperanza just kind of by instinct i kind of knew well i'm going to get these two great guitar players and then i'm gonna i want to do some other stuff and and also by by what tunes i had written and i thought esperanza is going to sing these great i i hope you know and i she's got such a great voice and i'm sure she'll if the range is right and all that stuff so i for for her voice and if she's into it so i asked her and she said let's do it you know and then uh, same thing with terry lynn and same thing happened with medesky martin and wood i've been a fan of theirs for years i mean even before they did those records with john schofield and so and of course those came out great too with john so i've always kind of thought i would love to hook up with them and Randy Brecker, I play with a lot. You know, I played in his, with the Brecker brothers for years, and and played played with him. So that the, some of these people I knew already, and, and most of them I didn't, and uh, but knew of, and they kind of knew me. And so I think the most unusual collaborations in this case are the most unusual guys that I had on this record are are, for, are Steve Vai and Eric Johnson because they're not really jazz players but i think it really came out good you know it was kind of a you know you take a little bit of a risk when you go outside your own kind of orbit you know your regular you know thing that you do and and uh and and i said well let me start doing that a little bit more i just felt like that that's what i kind of want to do
does surrounding yourself with guys like that kind of help push you outside yeah, of the comfort zone? Yeah, that's really true. I mean, they kind of help push me out, even just thinking about them, like how they might play if I'm writing a tune. And I'm thinking, well, here's where Steve will play, maybe. Let's see if that, and what would he, how would we figure out how to start this? Well, maybe just the two guitars and the drum, you know, that kind of thing. So it makes me think arrangement-wise and some stuff that I might not hook up, you know, to think about in the, in, in the uh, otherwise. And, and But that always happens when you're writing and you have somebody else's in 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 for me when i'm when i'm writing i sometimes imagine different musicians and i kind of know their style and i say well this is maybe will they kind of inspire the tune sometimes even just the, the the imagination of them playing you know but sometimes i can't get them on the record for whatever reason in this case i got everybody i wanted to get on this record and then some <laughs> so it's so it's it was really fun to do and a challenge and certainly um one of the hardest or more difficult parts of it is I, I like to do everything live, you know, in the studio. I want everybody there. I don't want it to do like, okay, let's do your your part as an overdub kind of thing. So, uh, you know, they the two guitar players, everybody else I could get to New York. They were either in New York or around New York, and they live around here anyway. But uh, both Eric Johnson, Eric lives in Austin, and he couldn't come to New York during the time I wanted to record him. And same thing with Steve Vai, so I had to plan a road trip to go out to Austin with uh, this great drummer I play with all the time, uh, Lionel Cordue, and a great bass player, Lincoln Goines. And they're on the tracks with Eric Johnson. And Jim Beard, who is the producer, is uh, is on those tracks also. Me and Lincoln Goines and uh, Jim Beard went right from there to Los Angeles to do the uh, day with uh, Steve Vai and uh, Dave Weckel, who also plays with me a lot, is on those tracks. So it was a, it was a challenge to to get everybody you know in the studio at the same time because the ten you know that what a lot of people try to do is especially in this day of you know you can fly this in or fly that out or whatever you know and and try to make it. Uh, uh, you know, more, more, you know, an overdub kind of situation, which is tempting. It's cheaper, it's easier logistically, but it doesn't happen for me. Not for my music, you know, uh, you generally. Uh, what I find is it's got to have a live vibe. Even if you fix it later, if you change some stuff later on, the the bulk of it usually is happening live, you know. And and it's just more, it, it's more um, exciting that way. You, there's stuff that comes together at the last minute that you just wouldn't be able to do if you if you think if not every, if everybody isn't there yeah it seems like you would lose the interplay between the musicians that makes jazz so great. Oh, exactly and i think of jazz that as being like the people say what is jazz you know you try to what is the what what is jazz you know and sometimes jazz is so many different things especially nowadays you can't even say it's swinging because it's not always swinging you know i mean there's funky kind of jazz you know there's like so but one one of the real characteristics of jazz is that interplay that kind of like your that conversation that goes that goes on when you're playing you know but between the drums the bass the the even if it's some of the stuff is written out it's the way everybody plays dynamically you know it could be actually written and you and you're improvising because you're in the same place you're reacting to like how somebody else is playing the stuff and in my case some of it's written out of course and i want a certain bass because it goes with the melody but i also like leave large parts that are just kind of open for everybody to kind of do what they do. 
and for the soloing and um and so the you know there's a lot of interplay that goes just little things that you'd never be able to get if you if you kind of uh did it w- without being there you know and all at the same time so uh this is you know it was possible to do in this case and with a, with a little extra you know shuffling around and uh and well worth it you know and i was really happy with how everybody played i mean they all played their asses off which i i figured they would anyway there's all such great musicians that i was able to get on this thing i you know one one person i i love and who i i haven't mentioned is uh cindy blackman who's a, an amazing drummer who uh she was playing with um I can never remember the cat's name. Well, she played with Lenny Kravitz quite a bit. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh and a bunch she's I've known her for like more than thirty years because we were going to Berkeley around the same time. I was in Boston at that time. And she was great then, you know. And she's just because she's such a great drummer. So I, I wanted to get her on, on a cut because I want to do some at some point do some touring with her, you know. And um and she swings so great. And so she she did that thing with Randy, so The uh, one of the people who's been on several of your records uh, is Richard Bona, who uh, sings and plays bass, uh, and is on the tune a couple tunes on this, including one of the standouts, I think, which is Reach. And I wonder what what makes you and Richard a good fit? Because just on the face of it, you might think these are guys you can't get to be from two much different worlds than you guys, and yet uh, there's just a beautiful uh, you know match there. Obviously, when you're in the studio together. I love him, man. I Richard Bone is like one of my favorite musicians, and has been even before I, I. I met him like what was it about now? About fifteen years ago or more at a festival. Uh, I'm not sure where we were playing, but I think it was in Europe or I forget. He was there with Zaunel or something like that, and I was there with Bob with my band with Bob Berg. This was a long time ago, and I met him, and I'd already heard about him. Michael Brecker told me about him. Because Michael Brecker was working with Paul Simon at the time, and Armand is that the bass player's name that was with Paul Simon? I forget. That's right. Yep. Yeah, he was. He's from Cameroon too, I think. And he was talking about Richard Bona, and, and so uh, Mike said, oh, "If you ever catch up to this cat, you know, if we grab him and play some with him because he's great." He was living in Paris at the time. Richard was, and then I so I met him at this festival. We were there for a few days, and I. Um, and I knew he was there, so I said, "Let's play some," you know. And he knew who I was, and and so we we uh, played in my, you know, I just got a little amp in my hotel room, and as I try to do wherever I am, you know, to try to play with whoever's around, you know. And uh, and so we just jammed a little bit, and it felt great. And and uh, and and I hadn't really heard him up until that point. A little bit of recording, but he hadn't done much, you know. what I mean, just kind of live stuff. And so um, I uh, I told him, you know, he got to come to New York. He actually kind of credits me of uh, having pushed him to move to New York. I said, you, you belong in New York City, you know, because you'll tear it up. And uh, and he also got me into, you know, using vocals on my tunes. I mean, some singers were already approaching me and just saying, you know, that 
tune, which you did instrumentally, you know, they'd hear a record of mine. They'd say, you know, I can sing that tune, and I'd love to try to sing it uh, with my band or something. So I said, wow, that's amazing. Let's go for it, you know. And, well, Richard was... Um, you know, started singing one of my tunes in, in when we were jamming at this hotel room. He said, "I know this one tune you wrote," and and uh, he, he, you know, he started just playing and singing it, and it just sounded so great. So I thought, well, one of these days I want to get this guy on on a record singing, you know, singing some tunes that that I'll try to write in for that in that kind of way so they're singable you know because some some of the tunes i write really aren't meant to be sung they're supposed to be played kind of with a horn or with you know what i mean they're more the melodies are more intricate but some are really kind of you know i actually write them playing the guitar and singing the melody and writing down the melody you know that kind of thing so i kind of come up with the tune kind of in that way anyway so so anyway, uh, a few years after I met Richard, about ten years after that, he was already in New York, and he he said, I said, like I'd like to try to do this record, and I did this record, Voices, that I did a, a few records, a couple of records ago, and he he was kind of kind of, um, kind of a, a key element in that in terms of uh you know pushing me to do it and then he sang on a bunch of that and played his ass off on it and sang his ass off on it and so uh, that was the first time i ever did anything with other voices and i got so into it and his voice and then we've been doing some touring together you know he's really busy and i'm jumping around all over the place too i'm grateful to say and so uh it's hard to get him sometimes but we're we're hooking up touring here and there you know and and he's been on the last three of my records because i can't get enough of that guy he's really <laughs> really special and he's a great guy too he's really great really got a great sense of humor and there's a lot of joy in his all of it comes through in his music you know but uh but but it's singing and and the, his the way he approaches and hears music is is very we just have a natural hookup i think uh, with with what we how we he, hear things in some ways You've really had the kind of career where you could rest on your laurels, and yet you choose not to. I mean, you're from, you know, Voices to Who Let the Cats Out to this record, and certainly the the ten records that preceded those. You're always trying to put yourself in new musical situations. Why is that? I'll never be... Uh, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it'll ever get old for me to just, just be able to be a musician. I mean, just to have it... I'm I'm to the point where I, I feel just grateful, even if... I think even if I wasn't able to work as a musician, I'd be grateful that I hung on to it for this long. You know what I mean? Of course, being able to work and be a professional musician makes it a lot easier, but I'm always telling people, like, if they want to play, I say, whatever you do, just start playing and don't ever let it go. Just, just there's plenty to learn. You'll never get anything, you know, in a lifetime. There's not even, you won't even get close to, to all the things you can learn if you want to about music. It's huge, you know. It's endless. But, uh, but it's so beautiful to have in your life, and and so for for me, uh, it kind of uh, I I I consider it really kind of a, a a privilege to be able to do this and and uh, you know make a living doing it and just and be able to make records and and so it's that that the other part just kind of comes naturally, which is uh, always trying to to grow you know musically and and change things up and and find things that inspire you you know because um because that's part of what keeps it going 
the the passion for for music is like you try new things and and try to try to uh you know put yourself in a different context whatever to try to kind of keep the uh the the, the keep your potential kind of uh reaching out there you know what i mean i i don't think anybody ever comes close as i said i mean certainly not me i feel like the more i know the less i know i i feel like after all these years i don't know shit to take the truth <laughs> but, like, but but it's uh, it certainly is fun to go on for whatever i can get together you know so uh so that's really been uh, a, a privilege to be able to do it, and, and it's it's uh, and it's fun for me at the end of the day to be able to kind of try different things, you know. And it's certainly it's work, and 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 it's I can understand why people back up off of of recording, or they get scared of trying different things because it's a little scary, but um, and a little risky here and there. And but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. That kind of thing is the way I always feel, and and certainly. Even even something that doesn't come out exactly the way you want to, which most most recordings, most things you do in life never come out exactly the way you want, but they kind of become a, they almost take a life of their own, you know. And hopefully, it's at the end of the day, it's strong enough to to, uh, to that you're happy with it, you know. And you just all you can do is put your heart and soul into it and do the best you can with it, and 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 hopefully it all works out, you know. And and a little luck and and certainly get the right people to work with. One guy that's been amazing for me is uh is Jim Beard who's produced a lot of my records, who's just such a great musician that uh that I feel kind of safer to try different things because he really helps me kind of realize what what I kind of want to, you know, in in a very realistic way what I kind of want to do, you know, I can kind of tell him, oh, well, this is kind of what I'm going for and he he can kind of guide me in that direction and maybe say well maybe you should use this guy or that guy or or if i have specific people a lot of times specific people that i want to play with anyway you know we'll get it together i always want him to be a part of the record he he's just great on so many levels and he's an amazing musician you know a writer and and keyboard player and and uh it's phenomenal so that's that certainly helps to have somebody like that who can kind of help help you along sure you know There's um, certainly there there are tunes on here that are you know kind of more on the rocket end like we talked about with with Steve Vai and with Eric, but there's also uh, particularly kind of the middle section of the album. There's a lot of really kind of beautiful intimacy, kind of you know clean toned guitar playing that's that's really kind of quiet and introspective. And um, I, I wonder what are those two experiences like? I mean, on the one hand, you know, to be you know kind of all whammy bars go and on the other hand to be with playing with somebody like Esperanza you know where it's it's really about kind of an intimate listening experience well for me it's like a natural kind of I guess I kind of came up that way it's like you know certainly there's some rock in my playing and always has been and I never really kind of took it out of the jazz you know into out of the out of my kind of vocabulary or whatever you know um 
and and it's just stylistically it's kind of in there even if i'm playing a standard tune i won't use like a stack of martial amps if i'm playing body and soul or something like that that won't happen but but uh <laughs> but if i'm playing a jazz standard i might bend more strings and it'll be more horn like or what i think of as kind of more singing kind of sound in this case i mean some of the rock uh guys that i grew up listening to like Jimi Hendrix I mean there's the first tune is, is, is definitely a Jimi Hendrix kind of vibe and that's what I was looking for you know and that kind of feeling that, that he had you know which was amazing and uh so some of the stuff is more like rock, and then and then I guess the stuff with Martin Medeski and Wood is or Medeski Martin and Wood, however they sequence their names, you know, they're, they're uh, and they're so great, man. They are so cool to work with and and amazing guys. But like um, some of that stuff is a little just funkier, you know, kind of it rocks a little bit, but it's a little not as as crazy as some of the stuff Steve makes you go for, you know. And Eric's a little bit more on the low burn too, but it's it's uh but it's real bluesy you know with eric johnson but with esperanza uh, i had tunes these tunes were pretty much all written maybe a couple of them i wrote and but the ones for esperanza were all written and uh, i wasn't thinking about her initially i just had these ballads and then i realized she'd be great to sing them and um and it was kind of a toss-up between her or Richard for one of them, for instance. But I, I, I wanted Richard on this one tune, and I've done a lot of stuff with Richard before, and it's always a, a pull to do more stuff with him because he's so great. But Esperanza is really, really special, and um, and I, I love kind of more lyrical stuff anyway. I'm, I've got a big part of me that really digs that stuff. It can, it can, it just gets my heart, you know. going to be on probably every one of my records i guess that side is is there very much so is what people tell me and and both sides kind of more like where it's burning a little bit more exciting and then some stuff that's a lot more uh kind of lyrical and singable and 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 you know ballad like or playful in a in a kind of lighter way and i i mean i i have to have that that's just part part of what what i'm into you know i think you know like for instance listening to miles for for so many years even before i played with him he definitely had he loved stuff that was burning you know he loved hendrix for one thing i mean he loved charlie parker he used to play like ridiculously great fast tempos you know dizzy gillespie was his favorite trumpet player you know was miles's favorite cat but he also obviously loved to play ballads I mean, he had that in him. He was like that as a person. I actually kind of feel like I got to know him a little bit. So his real Miles, the real Miles Davis kind of appeared, you know what I mean? At first you couldn't tell anything because he was like kind of, you know, he's a little bit uh, defensive in some way. He was always kind of more aggressive in certain ways to kind of, not aggressive, but like, 
you know, mysterious, mystery man, you know, kind of dark, the dark, the Prince of Darkness kind of vibe. And it was like, it didn't take long to realize that was just, you know, because he's inside, to me, he was so sensitive, you know, so sensitive. But I kind of knew that from hearing him play before I ever met him, that he had that sound and that style. Because you can't play like that and not be like that somewhere, in a in a huge way in your personality. And he was definitely had that very very vulnerable side he guarded against it he didn't show it off to the world but but when he picked up the horn he could and the, the trumpet didn't lie <laughs> and when he'd play a ballad he'd make you want to cry you know and he so i like i've always kind of gravitated towards um that kind of thing where people show different sides of their um uh, you know emotional whatever their emotional like makeup you know in their music and so uh, i i like that kind of kind of stuff so i've always tried to kind of show whatever whatever gets me whatever gets your heart is what you you got to put out on and put out there i think and i mean this is just my opinion but it's always seemed to me that often the real uh measure of intensity is what you do with like the slow quiet tunes not it's e- it's easy to build up intensity when you're playing at you know quarter note equals four thousand right but it's the tunes where you really have to you have to take everything out of the melody that you possibly can that that in some ways kind of really let you in to what's happening with the artist i mean i i think that's really true and and both are true i mean there's something really cool about just being able to really you know kind of play lines and have it be in the time in a certain way and kind of exciting like some of I'm thinking about Miles because we I was just talking about Miles but just how he would play some of his lines with the chromatics especially on his live stuff you know on the live stuff that was, the tempos were always faster and he would it was very exciting to hear him kind of go for it you know and uh especially like some of the groups with you know of course with herbie and wayne shorter and and that stuff but but live the live stuff you know or with train the way he would play live and it's just raw a little raw so you get a certain kind of a cool thing when he was really excited you know by by uh playing in a kind of a very obvious, exciting way and building a solo like that. But I totally agree about the lyric, lyrical stuff. I think that stuff burns just as hard, if not more. I mean, it's it's it has an intensity that's that's uh, on a lower kind of lower flame, but it's really still it's still so. Um, uh, and in some ways, some ways it's more vulnerable, you know. So, so and more uh, kind of intimate in a way, in a, in a kind of a way that's um, that's very strong, just as exciting in some ways as as like something really rocking, you know, or really burning fast swing or whatever, you know what I mean? So, uh, so I totally agree. I mean, my. My favorite, probably, well, one of my favorite guitar players is Jim Hall, who's who's very much, and and some of my favorite records are the records he made with Bill Evans, and they were just duo records, very melodic. Now, Jim uh, gets his his, uh, it seems to me, his 
his intensity through through his choice of notes and his melody. He doesn't have a lot of chops. He never had them. He said when he told me he, when he first came to New York, he heard George Benson and Pat Martino. He said he, he said that was it. He almost turned around, and went home. You know, and but he so he said he had to find another way. He said I never had those kind of chops, but I I had to find my way of doing it, which was a much more lyrical, melodic, but equally exciting, if not more so, in in a lot of ways. Um, because uh, he he's like on edge all the time, you know, in in terms of picking notes, and it's very, it's just as it's just a, as exciting and and really beautiful. I mean, he's an incredible musician, Jim Hall. So uh, so you you I totally agree with you about that. Uh, finally, Mike, uh, you dedicated this album to the guitarist Hiram Bullock. Uh, will you talk about Hiram? Yeah, I mean, I loved Hiram. We were really close for years. He actually produced my first two records. You know, the, ver- the very first one I did was on this little label, a Japanese label called, I was still playing with Miles in it. It was called Niche. That's what it was called. Don't ask me what that means because I have no clue. But it's just something I used to say all the time. Niche! You know, it's probably the Knights, you know, some Monty Python kind of thing. And, uh,. There were a lot of cool people on the record. Dave Sanborn really played his ass off on the record. And uh, Victor Lewis was on it, swinging like crazy. I think he was still playing with Stan Getz at that time. I'm not sure. But he was he was on it, uh, and, and Tom Barney, some other people. And Hiram produced that. You know, and he was, uh, I, I knew him for years before that, and, and we were just real close. We used to play together all the time. He used to be the type of guy that, you know, kind of like, I still am a little bit of, you know, you couldn't take the guitar out of his hands. I mean, but he was even more so. He used to practice in between sets all night long, that kind of thing, you know. And it was mainly jazz playing, more like tunes and, you know, giant steps and different keys, that kind of stuff. That was Hiram for a bunch of years, and then he kind of got more into just, you know, a funk kind of, or rock and stuff. I think the the Hendrix kind of, uh, uh, Certainly that Hendrix vibe was very much a part of him. He loved that music that Hendrix came up with, and it was very much in his plan, as was a whole bunch of other stuff. But he kind of went towards uh, playing more, you know, he was playing with Sanborn when Marcus Miller was in the band with Dave Sanborn, and, 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 uh, and then he was doing a whole bunch of other projects with pop guys making a lot of records uh you know for other people when when a lot of studio work was was happening in new york he was the main guy you know and uh so i don't think he played the straight ahead stuff as much as i would have loved to have heard him because he was ridiculous at it really great i mean he said he would have been a just a great jazz guitar player and probably if he had lived longer he would have gone back into that world and i'm sure he would have torn it up you know but um but he was just a gr- wonderful musician and just a, a really good friend. I, he was great as a producer, you know, for, really helped me out with my first two records. And uh, and just a was special person, you know. And, and I, was just, I was so sad when he, when he passed because I, I don't think it should have happened. But it was just, uh, you know, uh, he, was, he never really got sober, which for somebody like him, it's kind of... The, the odds are not great that you're going to live a long life if you don't if you don't cool it out completely because I was very much like that. I mean, at one point Miles tried to put me in a rehab to get you, <laughs> give you an idea how bad I was, and uh, and and so 
you know, I, I cooled out. I've been sober for 25 years. It wasn't a, it wasn't really a, it was a pretty obvious choice. I, I would either have to do that or I wouldn't be on the planet for very long. And Hiram never really completely cooled out. He, he did, but I think he was still messing around. And I think, unfortunately, that's what, uh, that's what uh, led to his very, you know, early age to, to you know, he was, well, he's, he's, I think his mid fifties and he, and he died just last year. So, you know, I miss him a lot. And I, and I f- felt like, uh, I wanted to kind of dedicate this record for, for to, to, it's more for me obviously than him, but, or to friends of his that, that knew him. And it's certainly the first tune is, has got a lot of Hiram right there in him. But he, he was a great, uh, guy with, with ballads too. He was amazing with ballads, Hiram. And he knew how to produce them. He was very much into that. He could do a lot of stuff with his, with his music and probably could have done a lot more, but, Anyway, he left a lot of great stuff behind and a lot of great memories, and so yeah. One of my uh, one of my favorite tracks that Hiram ever played on, which I think this is the only track on the record he was on, but um, uh, this, I can't remember even the name of the album. I think it's called Nothing Like the Sun. It's a Sting record, but Sting at the very end he does a cover of Hendrix's uh, Little Wing, right? And Hiram plays the solo on it, and it's just. I mean, it takes the song from where it was, which I think is a nice arrangement anyway, but it brings it to a whole other place, and you can kind of hear, like, sure the whole history of the music in Hiram's, you know, whatever it is, 45-second yeah, solo or something. Really, that's Hiram. That's right. That's really true. I remember uh, he was on this one Steps record, and he did this solo, and all those guys were like, it was like, he had to come in and do it as an overdub, I think. And they didn't think, they thought, well, it'll be cool guitar solo but the energy somehow even as an overdub he just took the whole thing and the whole thing just lifted up I mean I remember Mike Brecker telling me he was just in the control booth going holy shit where else is it gonna go you know it kept going so he was he was a very special guy you know great musician and really a, a, a incredibly sweet person you know so I miss him but uh, it was nice to have known him you know well, I, I, I appreciate your uh, your reflections about him. My guest is Mike Stern. Uh, his brand new album on the Heads Up record label is called Big Neighborhood. And uh, Mike, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and listening to your music over the years. And uh, I'm I'm very happy that you took the time to do this. Thank you very much for the opportunity, man. I appreciate it.
That's guitarist Mike Stern from his new album Big Neighborhood on the Heads Up record label. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can also sign up at TheJazzSession.com for that and at Facebook for The Jazz Session's Facebook group. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at RespectSextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.